Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, what does that mean to us? People long for harmony, freedom from strife, tranquility, serenity. Deep down, we know that's what we were created for. But since the beginning, we've experienced everything but peace. Relational strife, jealousy, anger, conflict, injustice, oppression, revolution, war. Throughout history, we've looked for a solution without finding resolution. Maybe that's why Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace is so important. His arrival promises not just the opportunity to be different, to cease from war, turmoil, and conflict, but the opportunity to free us from even the memory of those things. When we embrace Him, we embrace an entirely different way of living. Good morning, church. How we doing? Good. Thank you so much for braving the Arctic weather and slipping and sliding your way to church today. Um, this is always an interesting time of year, isn't it? Because many of us in the room forget how to drive in the ice and snow, and then we lose our minds on the road, and we become the crazy drivers that we all like to talk about. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. All right. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that. I was just kidding. <laughs> well, I just want to say Merry Christmas to those of you at our Rock Island campus, those of you joining us online, and our family here at the Bettendorf campus. I am so glad that you're here, and I'm thrilled that I get a chance to lean into the Word of God with you together today. Um, I don't know about your family, but the Barnes family around Christmas, we just have like a crazy town calendar. You guys know what I mean? And so what we found over the years is that if we don't take intentional moments to stop and to pause from our regularly scheduled crazy town, we miss out on the season. We miss out on those moments together. And so this year, uh, we've done a number of things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I went to the Nutcracker Ballet, uh, which was awesome. It was even better than two years ago because two years ago, I had this realization that apparently I was a sheltered child. All right. So when I went into the Nutcracker Ballet that evening, the context, all the context I had for what the Nutcracker was, was a song by the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, all right, and a mechanical device that opens nuts. All right. So you can imagine my shock and horror when rats started to dance around on stage. And when the Sugar Flum, Flum Perry came out, I was done, all right? But this year, I came prepared, and it was a great experience. Of course, the highlight of that was just time with my bride, all right? Friday night, my son and I went to, to the Putnam Museum to the Polar Express pajama party, all right? And any excuse for me to go out in public in my pajamas, sign me up, all right? And so this was a moment for me and my son to go. We made hot cocoa and we watched the movie and they had a little scavenger hunt throughout the building, which was just a great time for my boy and me to spend together. And of course, no Christmas is complete without a visit to our local Christian chicken establishment to see Santa Claus, right? And of course, this year didn't go so well for Ava, as you're going to see in this picture uh, here in just a moment. Let's show the picture there. There she is. So you can see, didn't go well. Now this is a classic picture, and how many of you know that I'll be showing this picture regularly at family events? 
You tracking me? Especially when she's a teen and she's too cool for school, guess what daddy's pulling out, right? I'm pulling this bad boy out. And so, and based on the look on some of the women in the room and mothers, you are horrified that I would even show that picture. And so I'm gonna show you a better picture of my baby girl, Ava. Here she is. She is beautiful, 18 months, sweet and sassy, all mixed together, okay? And so you may have events like we do around Christmas that we seek to, to engage and enjoy each other, but we, what we found as a family is that it's these intentional moments to pause and to engage each other, to spend time with each other, to behold each other. We found that it's these moments that make the Christmas season so valuable and so wonderful. And it's really with that heart as a church that we have leaned into over the last couple weeks an opportunity to simply behold the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. It's this heart that over the last couple weeks we sought to span out from just looking at a baby in a manger, but to not just take that myopic view, but to step back and explore and behold the God of the universe. And so it's with that heart today as we lean into the word that I want us to behold him. And in fact today, one thing that's really important to understand about beholding is that to truly behold requires engaging the heart. To truly behold requires engaging the heart, all right? It's more than just going through the motions. It's more than just seeing. It's, it's more than just checking the boxes. It requires us to stop and to engage our heart, the very core of who we are. Now, this makes sense in the context of, of those we love, right? If I'm on a date with my wife and we're sitting across the table from one another and we're having a deep, heartfelt conversation and then I pull out my phone to check out the latest ESPN news, how many of you know that's probably not engaging the heart, right? And my wife isn't so thrilled when that happens and I'm still working on that. So you can pray for me in that way. But for us, we have to engage the heart if we're truly going to behold. And that's true of our relationship with God. And so this morning, my hope is, as we have a moment to pause and to just lean into who he is, that we can truly behold him and engage him with the core of who we are today. And so as we step into the word, I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We've been uh, kind of landing in this passage over the last couple weeks as we've sought to behold him. So let's read this together. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, these aren't literal names of the Messiah that, that Isaiah is listing for us. More importantly, they're actually central aspects of who he is, his character. And they give us a great glimpse of not only who he is, but what he came to do. And so last weekend, as we gathered, we took time to behold him as wonderful counselor as this wonderful, mighty God who, who does all things for us, right? He's a God that does things for us that no one else can do. He is our, our counselor, the one who, who listens to us, that advises us, that guides us, that mentors us, that goes before us, the one who, who sees all things. In fact, we talked about him being omnipresent. The fact that he's in all places at all times. He exists outside of time. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing. There is nothing that our God doesn't know. He is omnipotent. He lacks nothing. He can do all things. We beheld him as wonderful counselor, but also as mighty God. 
a God who is mighty, a God who is strong, a God who is brave, the God in whom all things were created, the one who reigns in heaven. We beheld him as wonderful counselor and mighty God. And this weekend, I want to take a moment to behold him as everlasting father. As everlasting father. Now listen, everlasting father doesn't mean that the father and the son are the same, okay? Their, their roles in the Godhead are very distinct. There's the father and there is the son. Like we said, Isaiah is not referring to them as literal names, but aspects of who they are. And what's fascinating is as you engage different theologians and their different thought processes on what everlasting father means, some really emphasize the, the everlasting portion of this where they say, you know, God exists outside of time, right? Everything is created by him and for him and through him, like Colossians 1 says. In fact, a couple weeks ago when we talked about the reality that the son, the second figure of the Godhead, existed before that first Christmas day. But it was on Christmas that he was given the name Jesus. It was on Christmas when he received mortality and humankind. Other theologians actually say that this would be better translated as father of eternity, right? And what they do is they point to the reality that the Jews, when they considered a father, really it had a deeper meaning of source or originator. And so they, they look at it and say, it's Jesus or the Messiah is the source of eternity. Kind of like in other passages of scripture when Satan is referred to as the father of lies, the, where lies originate, they point to Jesus as the one that if you want anything eternal, anything of eternal value, that Jesus is the source of that. And Jesus makes that very clear in his ministry that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the father. He is the only way to everlasting life. But today as we lean into this idea of him being our everlasting father. What I want us to capture and get a glimpse of is the reality that this wonderful counselor, this mighty God has the heart of a father. He has the heart of a father. You know, throughout scripture, we, we read how God um, displays his fatherly heart towards his people, right? He loves his children. He pursues his children. He longs for his children. He provides for his children. He protects his children. And yes, he even disciplines his children, which not many of us enjoy, right? All right? But he is a, has the heart of a father. Now listen today. Everything that you could ever dream of, everything that you ever hoped your earthly father would be, I want you to know that Jesus is that and more. And more. In fact, for some of us, sadly, in our culture today, the word father doesn't necessarily represent somebody who has fought for us, somebody who has led us, somebody that has shepherded us, somebody that has cared for us or, or truly wanted the best for us. In fact, for some of us today, Adjectives that connotate father are things like distant or aloof, disinterested, indifferent, and even some of the worst of cases, cruel. Even in the church, even in Christian homes, some children experience their father as indifferent or selfish. But here's the deal today, listen. Not our father, not Jesus. He is none of those things. In fact, on that Christmas day, when the sun stepped out of heaven and he came to this earth to engage a world that was broken and hurting, he displayed his heart as a father for us. In fact, we read about this heart of a father in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Check this out. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And Jesus in John chapter 15 says it this way in verse 9. 
He says, as the Father has loved me. Let me pause there for a moment. How many of you think this is a big deal, right? The Father loved Jesus with an intense, passionate, committed, loyal love. It was his only son, his beloved son. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now time out. Sometimes we can read this scripture and we go, okay, I, yes, I know that the father loves Jesus, loves his son. That was his only son. And then I hear Jesus say that he loves me in that way. And you go, okay, hold on. And you try to remove yourself from that passage of scripture. And you go, well, certainly Jesus was talking maybe about his disciples or those who had, got, had it all together. Maybe it was Paul or Peter or some of the saints that, that surround us, those who just really passionately chase after Jesus. And certainly Jesus is talking about them, but not me. Because I know my backstory. I know the people I've hurted or hurt. I know the mistakes I've made. I know the things that I've done. And certainly Jesus couldn't be talking about me. But let me tell you today, just as the Father loved Jesus, Jesus expressed that fatherly heart in loving you today, just as you are in this space. Behold, if we can engage our heart with that truth today, if we can truly trust that he loves us in that way, it'll change everything this Christmas. And in fact, Jesus goes on to say in verse 11, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Behold, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God has the heart of a father. And today, if we can take moments to behold him as those things, as wonderful counselor and mighty God, and we can truly trust and truly engage our heart with the reality that he loves us like a father, that he has the heart of a father towards us, then we can truly experience him as the Prince of Peace. As the Prince of Peace. You see everyone in the room today, Everyone at our Rock Island campus, anyone online or maybe listening in your car, all of us long to experience peace, don't we? Right? We long to be free from, from relational strife or conflict. We long to experience that, that kind of serenity or that, that tranquility of the soul, right? And deep down within us, we know that we were created for that. But the reality is from, from the very beginning, it seems like we've experienced anything but peace. Right? In fact, if you grab your Bible, the first couple pages, Genesis 1 and 2, that's when God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He created man and woman in his image. Right? And that was God's intent, that we would have relationship with him, that we would walk with him, that we would be at peace with him, that we would be at peace with others. But as you look at Genesis 3 through the rest of the Bible, it's the story of how we as mankind mess that up. Right? And how God has intentionally been seeking to redeem and to restore us to peace with him and peace in our world. You see, the good news about Christmas isn't just simply that a baby came in a manger. It's the reality that our God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the ends of the earth came and he bore our shame. He bore our sin. He bore our punishment so that we could have peace with him. Check out Romans chapter five, verse one. It says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified, Justified is a term that means that we have been declared righteous in God's sight, just as if sin had never taken place, all right? So he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
our Prince of Peace. Behold, behold. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Time out. Not only were we not at peace with God, we were at war with him. We were enemies with him until the Prince of Peace came. And it goes on to say, but now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Behold, the Prince of Peace with the heart of a father came. And he didn't just come as a baby boy with a good purpose. He came to bear our sin, to bear our shame, to be the substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf so that we could have peace with God. That's the great news about Christmas. But here's the deal. Not only did the Prince of Peace come so that we could have peace with God, he came so that we could have peace amidst the complexities of this life. I realize that families right now as we're leaning into Christmas, that there are some families who had envisioned Christmas with a loved one and their dreams and what they had envisioned came to a screeching halt as they grieved the loss of that person that they loved. Just this week, had a family, just devastating story. We have others who this, this week or in this last season have received a medical diagnosis from a medical professional that has literally stopped their life in its tracks as they have just been in shock and awe as they've heard words like cancer. We have families who have been splintered because of an addiction or unfaithfulness. We have families that are, who are reeling right now because they've lost a job and they're positioned in this Christmas season wondering where the money for bills are going to come. But can I tell you today, Jesus wants to be the Prince of Peace, even amidst those challenges. You see, peace isn't the absence of challenge. It's not the absence of sickness. It's not the absence of death. It's not the absence of those things. Peace is found in his presence. Peace isn't the absence of challenge. It's his presence. And maybe you're like me, and I have looked, and I have longed for that day um, when, when true peace will come, right? Like Revelation 21, and when it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more death. And oh, how I have longed for that moment. But can I tell you today, if we can grasp this truth today, it'll change everything for us. Because you see, true peace isn't just for that day. All right? True peace isn't just for that day in Revelation chapter 1. Peace isn't just meant for tomorrow. All right? It isn't just meant for tomorrow. It's intended for today. Peace isn't just meant for tomorrow. It's intended for today. Even amidst the challenges, even amidst the grieving, even amidst the hurt, peace is intended for today, not just for that Revelation 21 day. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 14, when he's getting ready to, to, to be betrayed and to lose his life, he's interacting with his disciples. And one of the last things he says to them is found here in John 14, verse 27. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When Jesus says this to his disciples, he knows that within a matter of hours, their entire lives are going to be turned upside down. They're going to be running for their life. They're going to be tempted to go and hide and hunker down. But he's saying, listen, 
My peace isn't just meant for tomorrow. It's not just meant for when I come back. It's meant for you today. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, Paul says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, he says, present your request to God. And in verse 7, he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, this peace that you can't fathom, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because peace isn't just meant for tomorrow. It's intended for today amidst the complexities of our life. He is the Prince of Peace. And our hope is that this Christmas, that we can span out just from the regular routine and just the story of a baby in a manger, and that we can truly take a moment to engage our heart and behold him, to behold the wonderful counselor, to behold the mighty God, to behold the one who has the heart of a father, and to behold him as Prince of Peace, the one who makes peace with, the, with God and allows us to experience peace in this life. And so what? You might be asking, so what? What does this mean for me? All right, this is great. What do I do with this today? And as we lean into that, before I give you a couple just kind of handholds as you seek to behold him this week, as we lean into Christmas next, next Sunday, all right? The first, I want to go to a quote by a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He's a great preacher, all right? And this is what he says. He says, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken, and when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. It's a powerful quote. When we can't trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And so the first thing by way of a so what moment, maybe you can grab on and hold on to today, is that when we can't see God's hand, when we can't see God's hand, trust his heart. When you can't see his hand, when you've been praying and you don't see the answers, when you've been asking for something and you're not seeing them, when, when, when you get a diagnosis or somebody you love passes away and you're grieving, even when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. He has the heart of a father towards you. I mean, throughout scripture in the Psalms, all right, we see the psalmist crying out saying, you know, why are they persecuting me? They're trying to take my life. But there's moments where he turns and he decides, I can't see your hand, God, yet I will rejoice in you. Job, if you're familiar with the story of Job in the Old Testament, Job, in, in an instant, his, his kids are killed. All of his resources, all of his cattle, all of the wealth that he accumulates is taken away from him. And then his wife is kind of pointing fingers at him saying, it's all your fault. How many of you know that's a rough spot, right? But Job says, yet he slay me, yet God slay me, yet I will praise him. Even though I don't see his hand, I trust his heart. Jesus himself, the night before he was betrayed, he's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's crying out to the Father and he's saying, take this cup from me, but yet not my will, yours be done, God. And he can only do that because he trusts the heart of the Father. There's another example in Habakkuk chapter 3. I used Habakkuk because I wanted to see if we can get Habakkuk in here. So here you go. So Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17 says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, no, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, you see that this is a pretty bleak situation. No food, no resources. We're running on E here, God. I don't see your hand. I don't understand what you're doing. This is what Habakkuk says. 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Even when you cannot see God's hand, trust his heart. Trust his heart. And secondly today, let the Prince of Peace reign in your life. Let the Prince of Peace reign in your life. Here's the reality. We all have a throne. We all have a throne in our life. And who or what we allow to sit on that throne and who or what we allow to sit on that throne calls the shots in our life. And today is a day where I'm saying, let the peace, Prince of Peace reign in your life. Let the Messiah, let Jesus sit on the throne of your life today. And for some of us in the room, that first step is to to turn over your teaching guide and to, to take a step to place your faith and your trust in Jesus. To say, you know what, I've lived on the throne long enough. I'm taking myself off, and Jesus, I am placing you on the throne. The first step to that is to make that decision to say, I'm stepping into relationship with you. I'm going to encounter this peace with God that I have longed for, that I was created for. So if that's you, I encourage you, turn over your teaching outline. There's three quick steps and a prayer. We'd love if you'd let us know on the connection card on your worship folder you got today as you came in. Let us know. We'd love to celebrate with you and walk alongside you. But for some of us in our spaces today, we have made decisions to place our faith and trust in Jesus. And we are living as if he is our savior. But if we're honest today, We've never really taken the time to take ourselves off the throne of our life. We've simply said, I'm going to do it my way, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. And today, listen, the heart's call, what you're hearing is God saying, let me sit on the throne of your life. Because here's why. If we let the Prince of Peace reign in our life, we can, ex- the, we can have the peace of God rule in our hearts. Let the Prince of Peace reign in your life so you, so the peace of God can rule in your heart. In Colossians chapter 3, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Remember, he's in prison. He's in a really difficult space, a really difficult circumstance. And this is what he says in verse 15. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and to be thankful. What he is saying is, is that you and I have a choice. We can let the peace of God reign and rule in our heart. It can be the grid by which all of our circumstances have to run through. That regardless of what happens in our world, regardless of what happens in our life, that we have determined beforehand to let the Prince of Peace reign in our life so that the peace of God can rule in our heart. So today... Let the peace, Prince of Peace reign in your life so the peace of God can rule in your heart. And let me close with this one passage of scripture out of Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in you, all those who even when they can't see your hand will trust your heart, all of those who will let the Prince of Peace reign in their life. You will keep them in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. May this Christmas, may you take time, may we take time to stop and to pause, just like I did with my family and just like you do with your family, to simply behold him, to behold the wonderful counselor, to behold the mighty God, to behold the prince of peace, the one with the heart of a father. And as we do that, may our lives be changed. May this Christmas be unlike any other because we're taking time to span away from just the baby in a manger to behold the one who was, the one who is, 
in the one who is to come. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for a moment to open your word. Thank you for a moment to engage you, to simply behold you this morning. God, on my prayer for us as a church, for us as a family, is that we would not just simply go through the motions today, but God, that we would be struck anew with the reality of Christmas, that it wasn't just about a baby, it was about the creator of the ends of the earth, the everlasting God coming and bearing our sin, bearing our shame, becoming a sacrifice on our behalf so that we could have peace with you and peace amidst these days. Jesus, thank you that you have the heart of a father, that you are more than we could have ever dreamed or asked for in a father. And thank you that even in the complexities of life, we can experience peace. Thank you that you give us your peace. And Lord, I pray as we lean into this week, as we head into Christmas, I pray that we would encounter you in new ways this year. God, I pray as we have opportunities to engage those that we love and we care about, God, those we work with, as we have an opportunity to engage them and invite them to come and be a part of what you're doing at our campuses and then and through Heritage, God, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that you would be honored. May we behold you this Christmas. May we engage you with our hearts, knowing as we engage you, Father, you'll engage us. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen.